football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Pat, what would you rather be doing this afternoon? Listening to a Pete Fredenberg interview or watching Brett Kavanaugh testify? I'm fairly certain that you know the answer to that question. That's why you and I are here doing this podcast rather than watching C-SPAN or whatever everybody else wants to watch that on. I do feel like we're missing the most important interview in the world that's going on right now. But if you're in our world, this is a pretty important interview. Yeah, we have definitely the second most important interview uh, for anybody, at least for those of you who are Division Three football fans. So welcome to our Friday podcast for week five. If you are somehow still new to the podcast or new to the Friday podcast, the Friday one is where Keith and I kind of go in and really dig into the games that are coming up this weekend. We've got, as usual, another weekend of more than 100 games. We have, in fact, going to talk about all 116 games. We're not going to talk about all 116 games. We'll talk about a half dozen of them in depth. We'll bring in our correspondents to talk about them. We'll uh, have six one-liners, and then we're going to let the... uh, the Wheel of Fortune uh, pick a game for us to talk about as well. That comes up a little bit later, but of course, uh, Keith, when we'll be talking with Pete Fredenberg in a little bit, we know that is that this is important because this is the first game he's going to be coaching this year. Yeah, he'll be back on the sideline after a three-game suspension, Pat, and you got a chance to talk to him, and, and you guys all will get to hear that. And I thought he was pretty candid, pretty open. It was gr- great to hear, like, what do you do? Yeah. When you're out, you can't be around your team. How do you watch the games from home? There were uh, Mary Harden Baylor was on the road for three games, so he was uh, very candid with us about that and about the situations that a few of his his more well known players have been in. So uh, it's really nice to get a chance to hear from one of the uh, top coaches in Division Three. And whereas last week in this very spot of the podcast, we talked about the fact that there was one big game and maybe not a lot of else of interest going on in Division Three, And of course, that didn't turn out to be the case, as always happens. However, we come into this week with a bunch of games where there are significant conference race implications. Uh, we have the Little Brass Bell game coming up on Saturday night. We'll talk about uh, Wheaton at North Central later on in this podcast. Uh, we'll talk about Whitewater and Lacrosse. That's a big game that's coming up. Linfield, Whitworth. I could almost basically go down and name almost everything here in the top 25 is of significance. Uh, St. Thomas against Concordia, Moorhead, um, even Oshkosh against River Falls. This is Oshkosh's first opportunity to play a Wyatt game after a really interesting opening to the season. Yeah, I think the the slate of games is great this week. It um, certainly looks better going in than it looked last week. We want to see. Uh, what Oshkosh has done with a week off. We want to see what happens in Whitewater and uh, and Lacrosse. St. Thomas and Concordia Moorhead was another game that you mentioned. You know that you didn't mention that uh, that's going to be a pretty big one this week. It's got Mayak title implications. I think maybe the conference we should spend the most time looking at because of uh, the way the standings shake out is the Centennial, where f- the four top teams at the top of the standings all play each other. We've got Franklin and Marshall against Muhlenberg, and we also have Ursinus against Johns Hopkins. Those have been uh, the teams that we've been talking about all season, other than Susquehanna, which uh, picked up two early overtime losses and, and may not be in the top half of the conference right now that they play Dickinson. Yeah, it is. Um, and, of course, the Centennial takes an entire week off coming up a little bit later on in this schedule. It is a, a really big week for that conference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Franklin Marshall, Muhlenberg, and Ursinus, all 3-0 and in conference, undefeated. And then the team that's usually the favorite has already picked up a loss this season in Johns Hopkins. Remember, the Centennial has a history of 
ties, not just two-way ties, at the top three-way ties, four-way ties. Um, and, and so we want to see um, how things start to shake out this week. You, you have me now with flashbacks about the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. That's a, a conference that has been uh, sitting on the sidelines for uh, the past couple of weeks in a lot of cases because of the weather. But uh, we'll talk about some of those games coming up a little bit later as well. Emory and Henry faces Hampton, Sydney. We have uh, Randolph Macon against Washington and Lee. We have Ferrum against Shenandoah. Those are some pretty interesting games that will also help just begin on the very first week of conference play to help shake that conference out a bit. Yeah, and, and that traditionally is the most competitive conference in Division Three. Doesn't always send a team deep into the postseason, but it does. It's more than any other conference. It's the one where you, you start the season maybe with a favorite, but you say mm, six teams have a chance to win this conference, and, and usually they're all in it at least well into October. Yep, and uh, is a, always a very good chance of uh, multiple teams finishing with two losses and finishing tied at the top of the standings. Uh, the MAC looks like it could be that way this year as well. We'll talk about all of these things coming up in a little bit to talk about some of the off the field stuff that is going on. We teased on Monday's podcast. There's not a lot of information about this, but uh, in fact, there really isn't any new information about this other than the fact that people keep asking us, or I think assuming that the, uh, the court case with, Mount Union quarterback D'Angelo Fulford in Florida has been settled. It actually hasn't. Uh, his uh, lawyers will be back in court on Friday for what may well be another continuance or some arguments, but uh, Fulford himself is not uh, going to be in court on Friday. They have a game against Otterbein on Saturday. The Wheaton case we talked about uh, a bit about a year ago when it first broke and then a little bit over the summer. Uh, that case moving a little more quickly as uh, this is the case where we have four former Wheaton College football players, James Cooksey, Samuel Tabas, Noah Spielman, and Kyler Kriegel. These four have all pled guilty to misdemeanor counts of attempted unlawful restraint, sentenced to court supervision. Uh, they were facing felony charges out of a March 2016 hazing incident against a former teammate, and they were indicted last September. The fifth teammate is uh, Benjamin Petway. Uh, he did not... Uh, take the plea and he will uh, is expected still to go to trial meanwhile the victim of the alleged hazing recently reached settlement with wheaton college in a lawsuit this is of course separate from the criminal proceeding that is our law and order update for friday september 28th keith should we talk about football yes please well, we'll do that in just a minute, but I'm going to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three. You know the deal, right? If you've listened to this podcast, you know how it goes. You're a coach, maybe, who is going to be buying new equipment, new helmets, something like that over this offseason, or your uh, stadium is going to replace its turf. Maybe you're going to switch brands, you know? If you're going to switch brands and you are a brand... You want to reach these guys who are going to be making that $800,000 decision by sponsoring the Around the Nation podcast for a heck of a lot less, by the way, than $800,000 or even, you know, $800. Keith and I would wax poetic about your product right here before going to break. So think about it and drop me a line at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. You're missing out. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Pete Fredenberg, the head coach of the Crusaders of the University of Mary Hardin-Baylor, the team 3-0. and uh, But of course, coaches coming off of a, uh, a three-week suspension, I feel like you're kind of like uh, pulling a levy on Bell here. You're keeping yourself fresh for the final weeks of the season, coach. <laughs> I wish that was the case, but it's, uh, 
it's been agonizing uh, sitting out, and I'm just really excited to finally get back. Yeah, what has it been like these three weeks? Do you do you watch the games online? Do you just wait for the film to come back? Do you listen on the radio? How have you been kind of keeping yourself busy on no. game day? No, I watch them on I watch them on uh, uh, stream them at home. Um, my wife has uh, asked friends of mine uh, want to come by and share with uh, me and watch the game and. Uh, just to be with me, and she said, "You're certainly welcome, but don't expect him to talk." <laughs> He's oh, kind of engrossed with the game, so I, it, I guess it's better than you just yelling at the screen. I envision that's what I might <laughs> that's be doing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have have? And I know this is obviously things that are now in the past, right? Over the past three weeks, but did you have contact with the team? You were still involved in practice and that sort of thing, just not on yes. game day. Yes, I was. I just was not, uh, I, I, you know, they traveled all three weeks, and so they left on Friday, and I I was uh, off Friday and Saturday, yes. I know that uh, the NCA process is all, you know, still in the process, and sometimes these things take a long time, sometimes these things take a short time, but it sounded, everything that we've been told is that it sounded like what happened and what was what is being investigated and worked through was relatively minor, well, I certainly think so. Yes, sir. Did you? I know that you have, uh, and you're probably not able to talk about that in in that sort of in, in that sort of instance. So I understand that. Um, but we always have noticed that you've never been afraid to suspend a player, right? When uh, when someone has a, a violation of the rules, is this kind of just like the uh, the outgrowth of that, right? Applying the same sort of uh, theory to yourself? Absolutely, uh, absolutely, no no different. You did this so for three months of the off season, also uh, serving a suspension as well. Was that different, obviously, because it was during the summer, and then you know you're, you don't have the team with you anyway. So did you not even go to the office, or how did that work? No, no, it was really uh, uh, very difficult because I had no contact with any of uh, anyone uh, connected to the uh, football team or the program. Uh, couldn't talk to uh, my secretary of twenty something years and um or any of the coaches i had no contact with anybody relative to the football program it's like you got an early dry run on retirement it really it really was except the fact that i am some of my best friends are here as part of our program and i was not able to talk to them at all yeah that's true that would be a little different you guys have one of the most interesting quarterback situations in Division Three, right? You uh, brought in uh, you have two transfers who came in this year. One of them was a very high-profile transfer because he'd been a guy who Division Three fans would know, uh, and then another guy who has come in and kind of taken things by storm. So, talk us a little bit through the whole Jace Hammock, Luke, Luke Porman, Denarian Thomas dynamic right now at quarterback for the crew. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think all three of them are, are talented and, and certainly in different ways. And uh, uh, Jace probably has the strongest arm. Luke probably has the, the best IQ, football IQ. Um, and then Denarian obviously is the, is the fastest of the three. What we would like to do is just uh, see who is going to be able to execute, run the offense and take ownership of the offense. Um, you know, I think the the unfortunate thing about being a quarterback is that you are cast to be the leader of the offense, and uh, so we're 
we are, as we're moving through this uh, process, we're looking for the guy that wants to take ownership and leadership of, of the football team and especially the offense. Do you expect, you know, now that you're back in on the sidelines, on game day, that sort of thing, do you think that how you guys use the three quarterbacks might be different with you there calling the shots in live in real time? I, I think so because I, I just know that I will um, expect and want and uh, will will ask our offensive coordinator to make sure that all three of them are playing at different times and because I, I really want to see uh, you know who's going to be the guy down the down the long haul and as I said all three of them possess different gifts and uh, and talents and um, I want to see who fits in and who, uh, really wants to take over and and run our run our offense. You have always used multiple quarterbacks as long as I can remember. Basically, anytime you have more than one quarterback who's physically ready to play in the game, it seems like that's something you like to do. I do. I, it, it just changes the dynamics of the game. But also, uh, if you remember the, the in sixteen and Blake Jackson, he was the guy, and yeah. but he also. Um, you know, it was interesting, in my opinion, because when he was a junior, um, he kind of took the role as a backup quarterback um, that spring of his senior year going into the uh, the fall. He just took ownership and uh, and there was no question of who the leader of our offense was. And, you know, in the competition that exists right now with all three of our quarterbacks, all of them are comfortable kind of where they're at but the reality is that all of them want to be the the guy and uh it's imperative that that uh, whoever uh takes the ownership of of the football team is the guy that will be the starter down the road well and you're in an interesting situation too in that i mean obviously thomas has been in the program right he hasn't been playing quarterback hammock and poorman you know completely new to the program so even though these guys come in with great talent, there's a lot of, I assume there's a lot of learning curve to being able to play quarterback for Mary Harden Baylor specifically. Well, there's no question. And then also it's, uh, I think that all of them, especially the, the, uh, Jason and Luke, uh, it's just a, a new surroundings and, and new, uh, friends. And as you develop relationships and, and all of that, it's, it's not, it's not an easy transition for guys to just jump up and, say that I'm going to be the leader of this offense. So it, it takes some time and, de- and, and development. Um, the, the thing with uh, Denarian is that he's uh, has been a receiver now. He played quarterback in high school, but he wanted to play receiver. Um, he, he felt like that he was going to be in competition and uh, have, have limited reps at receiver with the quality of receivers that we have. Uh, so he asked to play quarterback, and I was excited for it. And and he continues to develop and grow. Uh, you know, obviously he can really run, but uh, the thing that uh, that surprised all of us is is his ability to throw as well as he does. Uh, at receiver, obviously we all remember T.J. Josie from uh, previous years. Uh, John L. Reed's had a great year for you guys. K.J. Miller is a transfer who comes in from East Texas Baptist, so I can see why there might be you might uh, he might feel there's limited reps at receiver. Yeah, K.J. Miller, and then there's two other guys, Aaron Sims, who transferred from uh, Texas A&M, uh, where he ran track, 
and then Denarian, uh, uh, Darius Daniels is also a, a gifted receiver uh, that will see a lot of action. All right, we've gotten pretty far into this conversation without talking about defense, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I do want to talk about the the year that uh, Markeith Miller has had so far. Uh, maybe not as much, maybe not as many reps this past Saturday against Texas Lutheran, but uh, two great uh, performances, really eye-opening performances to start the season for him. Well, you know, Markeith is a great running back. He's uh, got good size and speed, and obviously has the ability to. Uh, change a ball game just because of the uh, the kind of runner that he is um, he, you know and offensively we really are uh, want to be a team that uh, does whatever the defense allows us to do for an example against Sol Ross they really wanted to cover our receiver so um, Markeith ran a lot yeah um, and this last uh, week it, it wasn't the same, so we we were able to throw the ball a little more. I think that it's uh, it, it just spreading the field and uh, seeing and how the defense is going to deploy, and then uh, taking whatever they give us. That's the whole goal of our offense. All right. So over the course of the first three weeks, you guys have two gigantic wins. Maybe get off to a bit of a slow start on Saturday, but eventually kind of figure things out in the second quarter and coast to a relatively easy win. But everything I've read uh, sounds like you're not happy with uh, the team's performance in the first three weeks. Well, I think that we did not establish any kind of uh, consistency with our offense. And I was disappointed in that, but a lot of it was attributed to the uh, uh, our snaps, uh, the center snaps. We had, we had uh, several bad snaps, and that completely uh, throws all of the uh, all of the uh, timing and everything of your offense. So I attribute to that. But unfortunately, that's part of it, and we've got to make sure we correct that. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask you to just kind of talk us through and take us through your defense. I know uh, you know one of the big names from last year uh, is gone and, and maybe surprisingly near the end of the uh, offseason, but what's the, what's the defense look like for you guys right now? Well, I think that our secondary is, is uh, really, I think, as good as we've ever had. Our safeties are outstanding players, and uh, we've got good corners. Our linebacker uh, situation is uh, unique in that we uh, lost Tevin, uh, uh, really a, a great football player. And so uh, young guys have been thrust into that. I think that obviously we're making progress, but it's uh, a work in progress. We lost some incredible pass rushers from uh, the year before, and uh, all four of those guys are gone. Uh, I think we've got some quality players uh, that are uh, moved into the starting positions. However, they haven't established themselves or reached the level of uh, you can count on me type mentality, and uh, I just think that it's a it's a, a, a growing. Uh, process that our football team is going to be a, a good football team. Uh, we're not there yet, but I think we have a chance to grow. And it's just a process as we de- develop our younger guys. Well, and that's the reason why I had to ask you to kind of take me through the defense in that manner, because you I look at the guys who are getting getting playing time for you right now and they're not really the household names right they're not the same guys that we've talked about for the past few years and I think you just described it and that that's a bunch of young guys who are getting opportunities right now 
Yeah, and you know, Joey Longoria, for an example, Joey played behind. He was one of the defensive tackles that played really in every ball game, but but he played behind Haston Adams and and Brazos Fuller, and yeah. uh, but he is really establishing himself as an outstanding player. Uh, we've got some other young guys that are really quality. Uh, they, they just have to get to, to the situation of playing uh, down in and down out and the things that are required of, of guys that as they step into a different uh, kind of a leadership uh, role. Uh, and that to me is the growth that we're uh, trying to develop in the process as we move along. You come back at a pretty... I don't know if it's necessarily stressful time, but it's a, a high-impact time in terms of your schedule. You guys have uh, Southwestern coming up this weekend, and then, you know, not that anybody gets the luxury of looking forward, but Harden-Simmons to follow. Yeah, we're excited about uh, where we're going. I think that I'm just excited to be back and to be on the sideline. And, I, again, I think that uh, uh, I'm excited as we move this football team forward. And, you know, every coach in, in uh, all across America right now is – in the same situation of just uh, finding the guys that will fit into the puzzle and and develop the uh, into the type of team that we hope we have as we move late into the season. Um, obviously, these uh, challenges are every week, and uh, regardless of who we play, what's really a challenge for us is to grow and develop the team chemistry that we have to have to make sure that we have guys. Uh, playing and performing at a high level so that the expectations of this program are pretty high and um, and they understand that and that's why they're here. Keith, always good to talk to Pete Frettenberg. I suspect people are really wondering about Luke Porman's role on this team and, and why he doesn't play more, but I don't think they're done tinkering with this quarterback situation. That interview answered all the key questions for me. What'd you do while you're suspended? What's up with the quarterback situation? Why not just move Darnarian Thomas back to wide receiver? Good to be able to talk with the coach of a national championship level program and have him be open and candid, even when the topics are a bit uncomfortable. For me, the biggest takeaway was the same as when Frank Rossi talked with Larry Harmon after the Albright game. UMHB remains focused on the big picture and the process. Most coaches are, so that part really doesn't make them unique. What makes them unique is the ability to win and win handily in the process. Most teams would have to sort out the quarterback situation ASAP because they don't have they, they can't wait until week five when they play Harden-Simmons, no disrespect to Southwestern this week, to put their best team on the field or their best foot forward. But the quarterback tinkering might not just be geared toward that game or any particular point in time. It's just how the crew operates. Everything is always being evaluated and potentially improved. Yeah, it's clear that they really like Jace Hammock's arm. Have you seen Have you seen him throw? That kid can really throw. Uh, and they would like to bring him into the offense better. But if they can't, then Luke will be there. You, you know, uh Fredberg mentioned that Blake Jackson became the man at quarterback for them, right? They had one quarterback when he was a senior, but that wasn't until his senior year. He was still sharing the job as a junior. I remember that. That brings us up to our six games to watch. I'm going to launch right into UW-Whitewater at UW-Lacrosse, and this is a game between teams that are ranked number 10 and number 23 in this week's poll. And lacrosse is going to come into this game with a new offensive coordinator as uh, they announced on Wednesday evening that they had reassigned Luke Bengston. Bengston had just been hired this past offseason. He was an offensive coordinator for the first time, having come from a Division II school where he was a position coach. Uh, we have no idea, obviously, how this will affect the Eagles. They handled Luther pretty well in their opener, knocked off Illinois Wesleyan in Week 2 before losing to a scholarship program in Week 3. Keith... 
the timing in season of A, changing offensive coordinators, and B, announcing it is pretty unusual enough. But coming three days before a game after a bye week, if this had been because of play calling, they certainly could have done it a week and a half earlier. Maybe essentially they had and only really announced it now, or maybe something happened behind the scenes that we aren't aware of. In any case, there are other huge games this week, and this one should ring a bell. Number five, North Central at number 21, Wheaton in the Little Brass Bell game. I feel like this is one of the rivalries where it's always nationally significant, and the team that's a bit of the underdog often wins. And I don't want to say pull off an upset because they're generally pretty evenly matched. The Cardinals come in this year with three pretty comfortable wins under their belts, and they travel the eight miles from Naperville to Wheaton to face the Thunder, who sandwiched huge wins over Milliken and Monmouth with a loss to Illinois Wesleyan. The blowout of the Big Blue last week, though, uh, Curtis McWilliams and the Wheaton offense put together all but one of its nine touchdown drives in three minutes, 20 seconds or less, and look for them to attempt to work quickly again. Wheaton barely had third downs against Milliken. They were four of eight, whereas it was one of 11 the week before against Illinois Wesleyan. Pat, how do you see DelVal and Stevenson? Well, I think that's one of the key battles in the MAC race, right? We've expected Delaware Valley to be down this season because they graduated so many guys, but you know, so far we haven't really had the opportunity to see it manifest itself. Uh, we didn't expect DelVal to beat Wesley in week one, and then they beat the teams they were supposed to beat each of the ne- next three weeks. Deshaun Darden is one of the few remaining named guys from last year's offense as a dual threat at quarterback. Now on the other side, Stevenson went 9-2 and two, two years in a row, and we expected something similar out of the Mustangs last year before they finished 6-5. and five. You know They got uh, knocked around by Frostburg State in the opener last year. They got knocked around by Frostburg State in the opener again this year. So the question is whether, I think, Dan Williams, who remains the quarterback at Stevenson for what seems like his 17th year, uh, he will, uh, you know, he'll be a big factor. All the guys that we knew on defense, right, all those guys in that secondary, Austin, Tennessee, among them, those guys have all graduated. It's a new set of uh, names and faces back there. But I think the challenge is going to be the DelVal defense against the Stevenson offense. Let's zoom out from the East Coast to the West Coast, where number 11 Linfield is at Whitworth. The Pirates are 2-0, but are one of the teams we often reserve judgment of until we see how they measure up against Linfield, which is a bit uncertain itself given the loss to NAIA Carroll in Game 1. Whitworth actually hasn't won in this series since 2007, and it was a 38-9 game last season, so it could turn out to be a dud. But Shai Palawa and Jalen Gonzalez each had two interceptions for Whitworth against Chapman, in their last win, while Linfield has seven turnovers in two games, including five Wyatt Smith interceptions. So let's see if turnovers are an issue or a deciding factor Saturday in Spokane. Agreed. It's uncertain because, again, this year, Linfield has struggled to put points on the board. Let's send it out to Adam Turr for the next one. It's week five, and the Generals finally have their home opener. Washington and Lee has not played a game since September 8th. The Generals are 2-0, defeating Dickinson and Sewanee on the road to open the season. Last week was a scheduled bye, but the Week 3 meeting with Maryville was postponed in anticipation of Hurricane Florence's effect on the Lexington area. The double bye is unusual, and in some ways this will feel like the season opener for WNL. That's appropriate, as the real season begins now with ODAC play. And what a matchup we have to start the ODAC slate. Randolph-Macon is also coming off of a long layoff after moving its Week 3 game against Catholic up to September 12th to avoid the Hurricanes' impact. The Yellow Jackets are 2-1 and and have played five good halves of football. A disappointing second half in the season opener let Johns Hopkins pull away for a big win. We know that the Generals are mostly one-dimensional, boasting a relentless rushing attack with big play speedsters Josh Brees, Colin Sherman, and Montgomery Owen. Quarterbacks Drew Richardson and Trey Lachlan have complemented one another. Richardson is the quicker runner, and Lachlan is the more effective passer. Randolph-Macon wants to have a more balanced attack, 
Although the Yellow Jackets can rely on workhorse running back Trey Frederick to rack up yards, Jordan Hall has stepped up as a worthy complement to Frederick. The biggest problem holding back Randolph-Macon is turnovers. Quarterback Burke Estes continues to struggle with interceptions. The general secondary is aggressive, with three picks already this season. Estes has thrown four, at least one in each game. Two late-game interceptions in this meeting last year cost the Yellow Jackets the game and a chance at the ODAC crown. If Estes can take care of the ball, he can avenge that loss and set his team up as the favorite to win the conference. Both teams are hungry to get back on the field. Whichever team can knock off the rust quickly and keep their energy up for four quarters will have the advantage, and the winner will have the inside track to claim the ODAC title. Pat and Keith, back to you. Now we'll send you to the banks of the East River for Frank Rossi. From In the Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. It might seem a little early to speak about a conference-defining game in Week 5 of the season, but the ECFC has one that could qualify as such scheduled for Saturday as Husson takes the long ride to SUNY Maritime. Despite Husson's 1-2 record and the graduation of their phenom running back John Smith, the Eagles have begun to hit a certain stride on offense that could play a large role in this game. Senior quarterback Corey Brandon has completed 65% of his passes this season, despite throwing six interceptions against six touchdowns. His scoring efficiency has improved as the running game of freshman Solomon Hassan has gained steam, with Hassan gaining 366 yards on the ground over the last two games. Yet SUNY Maritime, despite a Week 3 loss to Service Academy rival Merchant Marine, has a gem in senior quarterback Thomas Wright, who has thrown for 10 touchdowns and just one interception. One concern, though, is that the Privateers are lacking a prolific ground game with no player gaining more than 154 yards on the ground this season. Defensively, the team seemed to be even, with both registering 18 tackles for loss and both giving up about 22 points per game. On paper, this is a pretty even matchup, but these two teams appear to be the true cream of the ECFC crop this year, as the other teams of the conference have posted a woeful 2-15 record against non-conference opponents thus far. With deference to former NFL coach Jim Mora, all East Region teams should pay attention to this game because of the potential playoff implications. If Husson wins the game and the conference race, it could force the NCAA Tournament Committee to schedule Husson against another New England team in the first round because of Husson's remote location in Maine. A Privateers win, though, could open up the committee's options in that round and provide interim head coach Vincent Gaetano longevity in the job he's held for only two months since the surprising departure of former head coach Clayton Kendrick Holmes. It may be too early to crown conference champions, but this game is as big as it gets before we even hit the mid-season point. Back to my favorite playoff prognosticators, Pat and Keith. There are lots of other key games. One of them is Trine versus Hope. We had a preview of that written by Brian Lester. You can find that on the front page of d3football.com. That's a pretty key MIAA showdown, Keith. Yeah, and if you didn't hear your game over the six that we previewed, we'll have six more that we'll touch on really quickly uh, a little later in the podcast. And then there's always the Hanson ratings done by our friend Logan Hanson, who does a pretty neat thing uh, where he gives every game a game score. And it's just a simple metric on a zero to one scale to determine how fun a game might be to watch. And the, the uh, some of them, he totally agrees with us, like the number one, the best game score this week with a nine, nine, I don't know how to render it, 94.9 percent. Yeah. It's 0.949 is what I'm trying to say. I can't, I can't speak number. Uh, but the best game this weekend is uh, North Central at Wheaton, which we agree with, Stevenson, Delval. But then he's got some in there that we wouldn't necessarily have in there. Denison at Wittenberg, Milliken at Augustana, uh, Hope and Trine is mentioned, Marietta, Ohio Northern, Millsaps at Rhodes. So the, uh, there are obviously games that we find interesting because they have national implications. They're, we pay attention to them because they're players we know in there or uh, it's going to affect how we vote when we turn our, our ballots in on Sunday or Saturday night for you people who like to vote early and on time. But there are other games that have major 
conference title implications that sometimes we don't get a chance to focus on. I've just scrolled down a little bit and found that uh, Rowan and Christopher Newport and his rating system is basically a wash. It'd be a very interesting game. And from the looks of it, perhaps a low scoring game. And yeah, there are lots of games this weekend that are key games between evenly matched teams in the middle of conference races that maybe we haven't spotlighted. Uh, We might talk about them coming up in a little bit as well. But uh, that's another place where you can just go and get some, in this case, not really opinion, a mathematical algorithmic rendering of how interesting your game might be and that's hansonratings.com now it's time for on the spot Uh, keith won the toss last week and he kicked off so now here in the second half it's my turn to go first and i'm just going to stick here with the hanson ratings here for a second keith and i'm going to say pick a game where the uh where the rating is less than 0.2 and find me a game that's going to be a three-point game or less. Well, I wasn't going to point this out, but the least interesting game on the Hanson ratings is Averett at Greensboro this week, which uh, probably uh, I agree with the numbers there. Yeah. Anything below 0.2, so the first point. Oh, point two. I was looking at point zero two. Oh, there's a ton to choose from. Yeah, there's a good and number to choose from. I'm not trying to completely hamstring a, you. A game that I'd want, that I'd have interest in. Oh, there, here's one right here. This one is uh, River Falls at Oshkosh, which you mentioned is a point one four on the uh, zero to one scale. And we talked. And it's got to right be a, this. so. It's got to be a three point game or less. You went comfortable with that being a three-point game? That's what I'm getting at. These, I see what these, you're saying. Well, look. These uninteresting games, so-called uninteresting games, find me an interesting one. I think, yeah, I mean, I think there are some games on there that maybe look more interesting on paper than they they will be, like Johns Hopkins at Ursinus is probably one, uh, Sal, Salve at Western New England. Yeah. Those teams, those may end up being blowouts. I actually like River Falls at Oshkosh, so I'm going to stick with that because I think we're still – trying to see whether Oshkosh can get its offense together, can get rolling a little bit. And we're still looking for, for River Falls to make that leap, to score that big upset. They've been close a couple times. We talked about talked about this with Matt Walker in, in the I believe, the last offseason podcast that we did, right? It, yep. it, was, it was So, you know, you see that team getting so close and, and maybe breaking through, and this would be – it may – if it ends up being a three-point game or better, if if River Falls pulls what would be an upset, it may turn out to be the kind of game that later on the season doesn't look like as much of an upset. We're also just trying to figure out where everyone stands in the WIAC. If, for whatever reason, lacrosse beats Whitewater on Saturday, then all the rest of the results, I think, are they all matter because we have no idea who the frontrunner should be. So I'll, I'll go with that. All right. I put... A fair bit of work into on the spot this week. Um, oh, that's good. One of us should. <laughs> well, I actually thought of two games. One I'm going to call non Sparrow, and the one, another one I'll call Plymouth Rockford. We'll play Plymouth Rockford next week. We'll play non Sparrow today. Here's how it works I'm going to pick uh, four games, and you have to make your picks in rhyme form. What I mean by that is this, all right? <laughs> oh, I'm going to enjoy this. Okay, go on. If the, if the game is John Carroll at Heidelberg, you have to reply, non, Sparrow eats Heidelberg. And you have to say beats, right? That's beats, eats. Uh, Co-Cornell, you'd, be, you'd say Ho, Rover, Hormel. Maya Millsaps in Austin. Gil Raps tops Boston. However you got to do it, 
And if you make a actual sentence that makes sense, I'll give you a bonus point. All right? Okay. I'm going to start you with an easy one. Right. And I want you to wait a beat so the listeners can play along. And if you happen to be on the highway and you drive past a guy yelling, Non Sparrow eats idle bird at his car speakers, maybe he's not crazy. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right. Easy one. Trying at hope. Trying at hope. Um, we'll be editing out some of this blank space, I'm sure. Cope balls do mine. Nice. All right. Make it a little harder for the second one. Oh, George, God. Okay. George Fox at Pacific. George Fox at Pacific. Gorge Box repeats specific. See, I had prolific eats gorge knocks so we both picked gorge right there's not too many things that rhyme with <laughs> i don't think with, so i i was yeah good i'm glad i'm glad i didn't miss something really funny and obvious all right you ready for laverne at claremont mud scripts <laughs> i'm not sure if i'm ever ready for that but okay i just did that for the laugh if you don't want to do it i'll give you another no one. no man I'll, I'll i'm game let's see laverne at claremont mud scripts do you think I have to rhyme both separate syllables of Claremont? I mean, it would be ideal, but <laughs> I'll take whatever you got at this point. Okay, no, I got. Let's see. Uh, rare font Bud ships rover, rover, my burn. We'll take it. You're not trying to do Emory and Henry at Hampton Sydney for for bonus points, are you? Um. All right, we'll, see, move we'll move on. We'll move on. No, yeah. <clears throat> I got nothing. Just starting with Emery, I, I'd, be, I'd be in trouble. I just thought if, I, if, if it was going really well and it got really funny, I would throw <laughs> you the fourth one. But I think you got you to gotta quit at, at rare font. <laughs> That's what I was... I need to... Now we just need to create a font called Bud Ships and make it rare. Next week, we got to go back and look at your, if your picks are right. <laughs> That's right. And so last week, I asked you to pick the winners in every game involving an HCAC team. You picked Anderson, Hanover, Rose Holman, and Mount St. Joseph. And uh, as a recollection, Mount St. Joseph was the only one that was a gimme of the group. Even picking Anderson to win a game other than against Earlham in the conference is practically unprecedented. But you got all four right. And that's with Anderson and Rose Holman winning by just four and seven, respectively. Well, I may retire from on the spot. Well, I would have liked to, but I guess I did it this week, huh? That was as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. Meantime, I asked you to pick how many games involving top 25 teams would be decided by 10 points or fewer last week. You went with four. Uh, Franklin and Marshall beat Susquehanna by seven. That was in overtime. Ithaca beat St. John Fisher by seven, which was a bit of a surprise. I don't think that was one of the ones we thought would be a close game. And then Barry one at center by three. That was also in overtime, but those were the only three games decided by 10 points or fewer last week. Yeah, we uh, we did get the showdown and we got the interesting game between Mount Union and John Carroll, but it did not end up being decided by 10 or less. It was a good spot check, though. I like that. Yeah, that's probably our best one so far. I think we're good. Should we take a look at uh, picking something from random? You got it. We got to do it. We're committed. We are. We are committed for sure. Random number generator from Google. Okay. Random number is 32. 32. Keith, we got Springfield at Norwich. Wow. We haven't spent enough time talking about Springfield this season. Or Norwich. Uh, this is not the little Army-Navy game, right? No. That should be part of the random game thing as we create a rivalry trophy. Oh, that's good. 
That's the, good. Keep like, that. the, like the old funky knickers. Yep. That's wow. That's a super throwback. Oh yeah, ancient. All right. The rivalry trophy for Springfield Norwich is got to be something like a. There's got to be some sort of Massachusetts Vermont border reference, right? Yeah, or like a, just a, there's there's a, a road that straight shot from Western Massachusetts up to Northern Vermont. Yeah, I think when I made that trip, it would have been. Uh, is that I? Oh no! Come on, Patrick. I'm no good at this. I uh, U.S. seven. I take out of like Danbury, Connecticut, and then take it up to almost all the way to Williamstown, Mass. But that's a uh, a little bit further west than what we need. Yeah. Well, in any case, if we want to talk about this game and its actual interest. It is a straight shot, though. Yeah, it is two two hours up I ninety one. This is it would have been nice to have t- uh, Tom Haley like right right on the horn, right available for this one. <laughs> you call a lifeline, and he would have told us. He would have given us a name for it. You know, in the past, too, this is a game that would have ended in about two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, Springfield, of course, we all know about. Uh, and Norwich went through a, a long span of time where it didn't uh, necessarily throw the ball very much either. Uh, Norwich has just not been uh, super competitive in a, a little bit. Uh, obviously, last year, last, uh, last year, coming from the ECFC to the new Mac really kind of tanked them as they went 1-9, uh, and 1-6. and six. Uh, this year, Norwich has only beaten Castleton. They had a competitive loss against Coast Guard last week that we talked about a little bit, but I still feel like this is Springfield's game. Yeah, and I, I think they're in the Norwich is in a situation very similar to the one we talked about with uh, Dan Garrett from Kane on the Friday podcast last week, where they've got Springfield, then they're at Merchant Marine, then they're at Maine Maritime. So they have three games in a row where they'll be facing a option offense of some sort and so they're in one sense they're they're lucky to be able to group all these games together and in the other sense you know if they don't handle Springfield well uh, they may not handle Merchant Marine or Maine Maritime all that well coming off a a tough loss to Catholic uh, I'm sorry not to Catholic to Coast Guard uh, 38-35 and that was the first close game Norwich has played this season Springfield on the other hand I think they were probably creeping up into the top 25. At least they were on some people's ballots before they got shellacked by Union. And uh, they bounced back last week with a 17-14 win at WPI. You have to imagine um, Springfield is is trying to stay in a, the conference race because I don't think they're out of the new mech at all. No, absolutely not. And of course, uh, there is just a reminder that uh, there is still one Pool B bid left and that will be uh, handed out to either a team from the new mech or Thomas Moore. So uh, Springfield still in contention for that because, you know, who knows where Thomas Moore finishes the season. It could still be the champion of the new Mac that wins that, uh, that one bid to the playoffs. Time for the one-liners. <laughs> I throw them out, then Keith responds. We've got St. Thomas at Concordia Moorhead. We've got East Texas Baptist at Hardin-Simmons. Muhlenberg at Franklin and Marshall. Ohio Northern at Marietta. Ferrum at Shenandoah, and Thomas Moore at St. Lawrence. Well, the Cobbers are the ultimate can't-quite-get-over-the-hump team, losing to the Tommies on a last-second score two years ago and falling 21-0 after they'd beaten Wisconsin-Whitewater last season. East Texas Baptist, Harden-Simmons, always watching those games to see which team out of the ASC is potentially going to challenge Mary Harden-Baylor. Muhlenberg at Franklin and Marshall, as well as Ursinus at Johns Hopkins. We talked about that earlier in the podcast how big the implications are for the centennial. So maybe they'll go into that bye week with some clarity, or maybe we'll just be more confused than we were when we started. Ohio Northern and Marietta, 
both of those teams undefeated. Same thing with the ASC. You want to see if any team in uh, in Ohio is going to challenge Mount Union. And in this case, John Carroll, since they looked so good or they looked game, I guess, against Mount Union last week, are Ohio Northern and Marietta, are they going to be the level where they challenge and maybe upset one of those teams and upset the standings? Or are they sort of a cut below and they just undefeated because they haven't played the good teams yet? Faramet Shenandoah, just a matchup of a couple of teams that left the USA South and are now members of the ODAC. And this is their first meeting uh, as ODAC members, but they will be there for a long time, I imagine. And then Thomas Moore, St. Lawrence, the barnstorming continues from the Kentucky-Ohio border to the U.S.-Canada border. Yeah, that is a long trip and uh, one of many long trips for Thomas Moore this season, for sure. Quick Hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games. We've got six people giving answers to six questions in an attempt to give you some set of opinions to uh, focus your uh, watching of Saturday's games on. And, uh, of course, in this podcast, we keep score because that's what we do. Everyone, including our guest, who's a Wabash alum and kickoff contributor Greg Thomas, picked the same game of the week, and that's good because it would be hard to argue that the Mount Union-John Carroll game wasn't the game of the week. In terms of teams most likely to be upset, everyone picked someone, but uh, nobody got it right because nobody got upset, and there was a good amount of post-game shade being thrown around on Twitter, but uh, nobody else was brave enough to make an upset pick before the game, and that's why they're called predictions, folks. I really enjoyed seeing the answers for who would allow more points in week four than they had the entire season to date. Everybody got a correct answer, but I really want to give kudos to Ryan Tips. He went out on a limb and said Bellhaven. Now, that's out on a limb because uh, the Blazers had already given up 41 points on the season, and then they gave up 46 more to East Texas Baptist. So uh, uh, kudos to Ryan Tips on that one. Keith, you were the only one to correctly predict that Minnesota Morris would outscore Kane in week four. This was considered semi-significant because neither team had scored yet on the season. Morris scored 13 points and won. Kane scored just nine and they lost. And to wrap this up, we asked for unlikely 3-0 teams that would fall to 3-1. and Ryan, Adam, Frank, and Greg each picked correctly. Keith picked Millsaps, which uh, beat Sewanee to go 4-0. And I picked Marietta without noticing that they were off in week four. <laughs> Well, good. I feel like uh, at least my pick wasn't the worst pick. Congratulations. You picked a team that successfully was scheduled to play. You can see this week's quick hits on the website by noon on Friday. We like to put the podcast out first thing on Friday morning, wrap up previous week's quick hits, and then put the new ones out there in time for you to kibitz around for lunch. And don't forget that you can listen to this podcast on Saturday on the way to a game, too. I think that's a, a really good way to, uh, to spend uh, 40 minutes or so on the way to wherever you're going in week five. I agree. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 207, released on September 28th, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. If you like this podcast, we hope you like this podcast, especially if you're listening this far in. So please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or, you know, bug those guys over at Spotify for why they haven't listed us yet. You could do that wherever you get your podcasts and help other football fans find it. We'll also uh, take comments on the blog page or you can reach us on social media. We'll, we'll tell you more about that in a minute. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, and you can find him at djmentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr and Frank Rossi, plus guest Pete Frettenberg for their time on this edition of our show. Thanks also to Carly Free and John Walline, and thanks, of course, to the creator of Around the Nation on d3football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. 
We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. Hey, I appreciate everybody who makes it to the end and uh, everybody who replied to our call out from the Monday podcast, including Jeff Seidel, at WC Pool, Kurt Pool on Twitter, Coach Catanzaro, Wally Wabash, and Boil Down AH. Also got an email from Art Gibbons. We got some great suggestions for uh, music beds and ways to uh, musically represent uh, some of our Division Three conferences. You'll see some of those. Uh, so you won't just be hearing Leader of the Pack and uh, New Jack City every time. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.